Welcome to the True Face Podcast, where we have conversations about what we can learn from what's going on in our lives. My name is Robbie Angle, and I'll be your guide as we learn how to increase trust and experience grace. Most of us get stuck in our relationships with God and others, and we end up wondering, is this really all there is? That's why here at Trueface, we equip you to experience deeper relationships with God and others, equipping a growing group of men and women with a toolbox of teachings and experiences to help you become more fully known, fully loved, and fully alive. And we hope this conversation today on this podcast will do that. And I am excited because I get to introduce a friend of mine, Elizabeth Pearson. Elizabeth is the mother of eight children. She lives here north of Atlanta in Georgia. She's got two dogs, 12 chickens. Uh, She's always got somebody living with her in her basement. She has been involved in all kinds of ministries. I can't really keep track. Uh, She believes we can't give what we don't already have, which I've always loved about her leadership. And we can't pour from an empty cup. And so she started this thing called The Exchange, which is a a nonprofit uh, corporation that provides an environment for women to hear practical advice from topics that Elizabeth's read about and life lessons she's learned and is currently learning. And I've watched her build this uh, ministry called The Exchange to create this kind of pre-church, open, um, casual environment which really smells like the hospitality of uh, and love for women to cre- come together in this space. Um, it's just been something that I've admired for years. And so I was a fangirl of Elizabeth and, and everybody was like, you gotta meet Elizabeth. She's got eight kids and is as crazy as you are. So we finally got to become friends and it has been awesome. And I haven't seen you in a while. So Elizabeth, welcome to the True Face Podcast. How are you? Oh my gosh, Robbie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I too uh, love that they described me as crazy as me because that's how I feel. <laughs> yep. The, the, uh, so Emily and I reached out to Elizabeth and David. You've been married for 23 years. You got eight kids, uh, four boys, four girls, ages from 22 to 11. And so we've got eight kids aged 11 to two. So you have, so we, we went to dinner, uh, it feels like a couple years ago now. And we just hammered y'all with questions. Like we came in with notes and left with twice as many notes about how do we do this? What do we do? And the, the amount of times we talk about you from our small times together and Emily, uh, Emily and I processed, what would Elizabeth and David do? You know, um, <laughs> you are my inspiration and my hero, Elizabeth, because word on the streets, you're killing it. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, that does mean a lot coming from you. <laughs> that does mean a lot. Thank you. I, I do need to, uh, you were speaking at a women's conference and you were uh, on parenting and, um, and you were talking about how like your systems and Emily's such not a systems person that we brought up the comparison and sometimes, uh, well, yes. Elizabeth's uh-huh. wired differently. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you were talking about how your kids do the laundry at eight. That's just kind of a rule in the home. And so in my competitive unhealth, I just need to confess to you as a friend, um, Naomi started doing the laundry at seven and it was only a goal to try to one up you as a parent, Elizabeth. Hey, I that's need to okay. confess that. That's okay. I'm impressed. I mean, I do think, first of all, let's note that she's a girl. Yep. My boys have a little harder time with laundry, but yeah, we do say when they're eight, they're no longer consumers, they're contributors. No, so. no, no. Let me carry that Seven. win, Elizabeth. She, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to go home today and teach Titus, my six-year-old to do his laundry. So that okay. our next podcast. 
<laughs> wait, let me know. Um, so you, you said, uh, it, wait, tell me that what you just said about the contributor. When they're when they turn eight, they're no longer consumers; they're contributors. I love that. How is that so work for all of them? Help. Well, oh, amazing! I mean, so much so that uh, as my kids graduate and leave the home, I'm looking at my my chore chart, which says because we clothe and feed you, and then it has their daily chores that they have to do. I'm like, now I'm only down to five contributors. Like, I need eight to run this household, but. Uh, it's worked great and it teaches them a lot of responsibility and it teaches them the things that they need to know before they fly the coop anyway. So it's is, a win -win. That, is that like a pretty serious DTR? Like when you become eight, you have, it's like a rite of passage into. Oh yeah. They all dread their eighth birthday for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Oh, they know it. <laughs> and and you, you have a chore chart that says, because we clothe you and feed you and house you, mm -hmm. you will do these and, things. Every day. Yep. They get Sunday off. Oh, wow. So, we, yeah. I mean, it, it, all the things that, that it takes to run a household and take care of chickens and dogs and, you know, all the things. Man, I'm, uh, we're, we feel like we're treading water because we're in the chaos of back to school sports and all the stuff where I left this morning and I looked around our house and I was like, eh. We didn't get to chores last night because we got home from the church thing too late. So we just wanted to get them in bed and didn't get our contributors to help do the nightly chores. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know if we're going to make it. I need some time with I you, Elizabeth. We need, to, we need to have a fun. <laughs> you ever heard that uh, Jim Gaffigan, he says, like, he talks about his kids. He's got four kids. And he said, someone once asked me, what's it like having four kids? And he says, imagine you're drowning and someone <laughs> hands you a baby. <laughs> so treading water is better than drowning. You're good. Uh, um, now, you are... Uh, Tell us a little bit about the exchange and that passion uh, and, and what you've learned, what God's taught you through that before we jump into really what we'll talk about today. Yeah, um, my husband and I have been, like I said, David, um, we've been involved in a lot of things in our community because we too were involved with the kids' sports and then some political um, endeavors here in school systems. And I um, took over the PTA for a number of years to just try to streamline and get rid of all the unnecessary things that parents do. And and so we had lots of relationships built um, during that time. But I felt like God said, Elizabeth, I want you to do something. And I said, like something like I've already got these eight children and we're involved in so many things. We've led multiple small groups, parenting classes. And I just said, OK, Lord, I'll do it. But I don't know what it is. And so I literally taped it to my closet and um, just started praying for it for about two years. And one day I was sitting in carpools scrolling uselessly on on the uh, social media and literally the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And it was like God said, that's it. And, and it was something from a lady out in Nashville, Franklin, Tennessee, actually. And it was called First Mondays. But it was a way to get people to come into an environment that they felt safe in that was not church because uh, a lot of people will go to church. They put on the mask that you talk about. And and I wanted a place where women could really come remove all of that and just learn about different topics and learn how to live intentionally. And um, as we say, live on purpose and with intention in every area of their life. And, and it started and just has blown out of the waters ever since. So how long have you been doing it? We just started our seventh season. That's amazing. Uh, if, if you're interested, uh, in that, you can check out more info, www.theexchangeus.org. 
Uh, I yep, we meet once a month, and right now, currently, we're at Lanier Tech. But um, we're excited because as you and I were talking earlier, you kind of have to to change and adapt as different seasons um, and different things hit you. But we're actually adding a second night, which I'm really excited about because it's going to be a little bit more topical hmm. uh, and uh, it's going to be more discussion oriented. And one of the things we say at the exchange, it's for all women, married, single, divorced, kids, no kids, working, not working, working, but don't get paid, like whatever it is. Um, it's for all women. So all the topics have to re uh, relate to all women. So there are some topics I think are worthy of discussion. And so that's why we're calling the second night the, um, the brown bag series and people bring their own dinner. We'll provide drinks in a, an environment. And then we'll talk about things that are a little bit more topical, whether it's to parenting or marriage or, you know, fill in the blank. So I'm excited. What I love about it is it, it just feels from what I've seen and heard and learned it is such an amazing environment of hospitality and openness and a shame-free environment of love, which is, is such a, cause there's such a gap of like, we meet somebody, how do we build a relationship? And at the same time, not just invite them to church if they're, uh, don't believe, don't have a faith. And so that environment of the exchange, I've heard so many women who are, would never call themselves a Christian, but they love the exchange and that ministry opportunity. Tell us, how do you walk that? that line? Well, you know, that's a, that's a huge part, a huge pillar of what we do, because I don't want to offend anyone or let hook anyone with maybe, maybe let's say they grew up in the church and I'm using all the Bible needs that I, you know, know, and I can quote all these things, but it might hook them or, or trigger them in some way. And so we just want to speak truth. And so I've been called out by some of my Christian friends, but I'll say something like Jeff Henderson, one of the greatest communicators you know, I've ever listened to said, and someone will come up to me afterwards and go, why don't you say that he's the pastor of yeah. such and such church? And I said, well, I didn't say anything untrue, but I just want people, all people to feel welcome and, and engage in what he says. And, you know, I've said things like, um, it's so important for women to surround each other and encourage one another and support each other, encourage, you know, cheer each other on. And just like iron sharpens iron, we can sharpen you know, each other. I might not give the Bible reference, but I'll say the truth. And um, I've had different people come up to me that never heard that before and said, hey, I wrote that down. That was good. That whole iron sharpening iron thing. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's not my material, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's like you speak the truth, but you don't have to beat it with the, and the word of God says, you know, yep. and, and they can hear the truth. It seeps into their heart. So. I love it. Uh, and I, and before doing this hot dogs thing, which is a similar type thing for guys, hot dogs, casual, just connect relationally. Um, I didn't realize how much I was missing that ask opportunity for people that I would bump into, um, to help create an environment that is conducive, uh, to build a relationship first with the intention of, uh, cause discipleship studies have said, the key to discipleship and evangelism is the first most critical component of do they have a do they know a Christian that they can trust? Absolutely. And I think you have to have a relationship in order to have influence. Yep. And so that's what I think is so neat about the exchange is I felt like God was literally putting us in all of these other different environments on the sports field, you know, practice field, the political, the school, not not in the church, but just out in the community and it's like we have relationships so even that very first night i don't know if i ever told you the story but we were just praying for 30 people to come and uh it was in january i'll never forget january 21st and we had a huge storm hit 
huge ice storm. School was canceled. The power was out. And I was like, this is just like the <laughs> devil. Like no one's going to show up. Yeah. And 130 women showed up that night. That's awesome. 130. We had no power. We, you know, it was crazy. And so it shows you that need. But I do really think it starts with the relationship and, it, and you know, just, they're not going to just drive by a church and go, I think I'm going to go in there. Yep. You know, it's, it's the people that they're drawn to, not not just the big C church. All right. So we are probably going to have you back to talk more about that. But and we were going to talk about that on our podcast and unpack it further because there's a whole lot there that you just said. But we were talking uh, yesterday about that. And you were uh, y- your passion of where you're, where you're currently at in processing. Obviously, I always try to hijack all of our conversations to learn from you uh, in parenting. Uh, and so I was doing that yesterday and your passion about parenting, I thought I might as well continue the trend of selfishness and spend the rest of our time going, what is he teaching you? What should I be aware of? And what we were talking about, what, I, what you shared a little bit yesterday with me gave me insight to go, man, those are, those are principles, uh, relation, relational principles, um, and spiritual principles that are, are, are needed for all of us, regardless of our kids' ages, our season, but that's where God's had you. So catch us up to, to this spot you're in now and what you're learning. Yeah, that's a, that's a big um, open-ended question. And so just interrupt, interrupt whenever you want, but you know, one of the things, and I mean, they're all the cliches, but they really, really um, mean a lot to us. And, and I'll say to people, you know, parenting by far has been our greatest privilege but it's also been our greatest challenge. And, um, and I don't say that like, oh man, our kids are off the, you know, the rails or anything like that. But I mean, in order to do something well and to be intentional about it, you know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. And, you know, we have a sign in our kitchen that's, you know, famous C. Everett Coop sign, life affords no greater privilege, no greater responsibility than the raising of the next generation. And David and I really hold that um, true to our hearts. And, what we found is when our kids were young, you know, at a time we didn't have them as close as y'all did, but we did have um, eight under 10 and or 10 and under. And I was exhausted. I was worn out. I was sleep deprived. But for the most part, I felt in control, hmm. so to speak, you know, in control. And, um, you know, we all have a lot of strengths. We all have weaknesses. I am not good with technology. I'm not good with directions, sitting still. There's a lot of things I'm not good with, but for me, it came natural to manage uh, a household of 10 and it came very easy to to parent young children and i think the reason is i felt like i was you know in control i felt like there was a sense of control that i had even though it was probably a false sense of control mm-hmm. um but as the kids get older what i found is that all of a sudden they um, experience things or put themselves in positions where they could potentially get hurt. They have greater outside influence. They have other things vying for their attention, telling them things. So all of a sudden my control or the control that I thought we had lessens, you know, and, um, and, and it's hard as they, as they get older, we, when we first had our kids, you'd hear all the time, things like, um, you know, Uh, you have 18 years with your kids, but not really 18 years. It's more like 16 years. But I found as as society has gone fast paced, more fast paced, it's really more like 15. Then they get jobs, their sports, you know, become their jobs. They have girlfriends and you really have just about 15 years with them. And so when you're in those trenches like you are in, it seems like eternity, but it's really not that it's really not that long. 
And so we're starting to look at the mindset of what does it look like to parent these 15, 16 and above children, because we're going to be a parent to that age of life longer than we will to those 15, 16 years. Hmm. And it's hard to think about it in terms of that, because when you're in it, you think, oh, you're always going to be their parent that's raising them, you know, in this in this time frame and in this situation. But it's really not. And the older they get, the more control you lose. And when you lose control, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, who am I trusting with my kids? And ultimately, uh, all we can do is trust in God with with our children. So it's a new territory of, of shifting your mindset to go, okay, we're going to be in this whole separate category of parenting, less control, less hands-on. It's a whole new, longer season of parenting. What are you learning about what that is? And but because it sounds like you spend most of your thinking, planning, coaching on the first 15 years of parenting. And so oh, yeah. what are you learning? Absolutely. Well, and I'm learning that, you know, first of all, that that first 15 years, I mean, yes, you you can make them wear a seatbelt, you can keep the car keys from them, you know, whatever, but you feel like you have a sense of control. And so, yes, you trust God with their health and their safety, and they can certainly, any number of things happen. But as they get older, it is so much harder as a parent, not necessarily physically, and you, I don't lose sleep, um, you know, like, throughout the night with sick kids and all of that kind of stuff, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually on your knees and and Mm. just the the taxing energy and draining um, in a different way. But just to say, God, I I can't, like I never had the control that I thought that I did. Mm. And so I'm going to have to trust you with this, particularly as they go off to college or the first time they drive away in a car or decisions they make, choices that they make. And they're separate entities, separate bodies than we are, but you do feel a sense of like, oh my goodness, I raised you differently. How did you make that choice? Or how did you think that that was a wise idea? And we're just learning to trust God. It's a, a complete different different set of trusting. And it's and it's a lot, lot. Um, I don't even know how to say more. I don't even know what the right word is, but just severe, um, important, heavy, you know, just leaning on God in, in this season of life. Huh. What? who are you learning from of how to navigate that or what are you learning um, either your own experience or from those who have gone through the season of transitioning into this deeper level of, of trust and handing over? That's well, um, I'm glad you asked that because I just, uh, just finished a book by Jim Burns called doing life with your adult children. Huh. And the subtitle is keep the welcome mat out and your mouth shut. And he shares in there, like when his kids were young, his job description as a parent was easy because he was in control and it was his clear cut responsibility to be his children's providers, their protectors, their nurturers. But as they got older, he realized that he was losing the part of the job description that he loved so much, which was the control. And so my husband and I have just been, um, just inundated with this book and just trying to, to learn simple, simple principles like speaking more words of grace over our kids. Mm. And, and I would have said that I was okay at that, but not realizing how much they need it and, and how many times I have opportunities to speak grace or, or show grace to my kids when before I might've withheld just because of busyness or lack of awareness. And so we're really 
really trying to lean into that hard in this season of life. Um, you and I both are wired very similarly in the sense that we love community, we love people, stories. And so I have a great group of friends I have that I can lean into and sit down and talk with, even the women at the exchange that I meet with one-on-one or in group settings and you hear all these stories, but children are gonna grow up and maybe choose a different lifestyle than you thought they would. Maybe move to a city that's like high crime rate and you're up all night because you're like, I can't believe my you know 19 year old daughter chose to live there. Not a sin or not a sin, but it's like, wow, like these are things that you never thought about that some of the choices that they would be making or not making that you think that they should be or, yeah. or whatever. And I've, I've witnessed it. I've sat with parents who moms who have just wept over children coming to them, you know, Hey, I think I'm a different gender identity or, Hey, I'm like I said, moving to this city as a single girl. And, and it's hard. It's hard to say, you know what, God, they're not ours. They're yours. And we've got to trust you with them. Oh, so when I survive this season, uh, <laughs> I need to be prepared for the emotional, spiritual uh, wave uh, that comes with watching those that I have loved and poured my life into make stupid decisions. Absolutely. I mean, you would never, you just don't think about it. And, you know, you and I have talked um, briefly just about the the political and, and this pandemic that we've had this last year and how that's impacted and has become divisive across the board. But I mean, I've witnessed it. A good friend of mine literally lost her two oldest children, lost all contact with Mm -hmm. them because of the choices that the children felt like the parents should have been making or not making during COVID. And they just cut off their parents said, you know, we disagree with those choices and they lost completely the relationship with them all over, you know, I've raged you and, you know, and then all of a sudden they have their own, own opinions or own independence and said to their parents, no more. And so, yeah, just when you, when you spend so much time, blood, sweat, tears, prayers, sleepless nights over your kids, and then they grow up and become independent little beings and make different choices. And you'd make, it's hard. It's hard. All right. I got about 20 questions. Here's the next one. Great. Um, I I'm in this season, uh, how do I prepare for the season you are in now that we're not ca- as caught off guard or uh, sur- how do I start preparing now to thrive in that 15 to 50 parenting relationship? Well, I, th- I think that's a great question because, you know, just like you're going to run a marathon, you don't wake up and go, I think I'll run it tomorrow. You got to prepare for it. I mean, I think there that's the reason you have the book, what's to expect when you're expecting. So you can prepare for it. Now, can you fully without walking through it? I don't think you can because, mm. you know, you hear all the time when your kids are young, oh, older women will say the days are long, but the years are short or the other way around. Yeah, that's right. The days are long, but the years are short. But you can't really know that until all of a sudden your kids are grown. But I would say to you, um, intentional, intentional uh, handing over trust with your children to God doesn't mean hands off parenting, but letting them make bigger decisions on their own while they're in the home and let them fail. You know, it's one of our principles is, you know, don't bail, let them fail. Mm. And you want to do that because when they do fail, you're going to be right there in the home extending grace and extending mercy to those kids. And when we can extend grace and mercy to our kids, I believe it reflects the mercy of God mm. and the grace of God in our kids' lives. And so um, more hands off when they're younger, obviously, you know, you're still the parent, you still direct them, you lead them, but just to not be so on, like I see a lot of uh, helicopter parents, a lot of, um, I think they call them like 
bulldozer parents or lawnmower parents where they're just clearing the path, clearing the way for them. And then all of a sudden they're gone. And then when they don't make the choice that you make, you're like, what? You know, yeah. but just to give them that freedom. I mean, give them that freedom. Yep. Um, all right. So start getting my knees ready with trust in him, uh, with really the outcomes and the control. And if I can practice that when they're 10, I'll be more prepared when they're 15 or 16 and get those keys and for sure. And, um, letting them fail, uh, letting them make mistakes so that I can model what grace and mercy looks like. Um, you, you said, uh, speaking more words of grace over your kids in this season and, and being intentional about that. And you talked about that, that book by Burns doing life with adult children, that tagline, keep your welcome mat out and your mouth shut unpack for me what that looks like and what you're, you're learning about that. Cause that's a, that's a pretty powerful statement. And it's a hard one, particularly for those of us that are talkers. Uh, those of us, my husband is, you know, not a talker. He's very quiet. So it comes more naturally to him to keep his mouth shut. Uh, for, for those like me that can talk to my children all day long, which comes, sometimes comes across as talking at my children. Uh, I've had a couple situations just recently. Um, and then I do want to go back to that. Don't bail, let them fail. And even how you can extend grace and mercy on that. But recently, um, my, I don't want to throw any of my children under the bus, but one of my children, um, had a very serious girlfriend and we adored her and we really liked her, but I could see some things that, Hey, this, this is not going to be panning out, but he was full speed ahead Mm -hmm. and was so excited saving for a ring. I mean, serious. And, um, I wanted to interject and I wanted to say, but did you see this? And did you, you know, and I would literally physically catch myself and have to like close my lips. And I'm like, just sit back, just sit back and let them listen. And uh, I mean, just let them talk so you can listen. And and that's what we've had to had to do. And it was so hard to keep our mouth shut, but to say, hey, come on home whenever you want to. Hey, we're here for you. Hey, call whenever you want to. And, um, and that's what we've done. And, you know, as hard as it was for him, you know, she ended things with him and he was able to see it on his own. Mm. He was so grateful. And the conversations that we've had with him since then about it, he's been so much more open to any type of advice because we were not trying to pry our way in as a mentor. I mean, you know, think about it. You, um, you and I both have mentors and they don't force their way in with influence, right? You have to invite them in. And now that we've kept our mouth shut and we weren't talking at him, giving him all this unsolicited advice, which would be criticism in his mind, you know, he's welcomed us in to talk you know, about future relationships. And so that would be one example. Another example is all of our kids have to pay for their own college and, and by their own college, I mean, all of it. And that's great. And they feel such um, responsibility and such, um, ownership in that. But at the same time, when you do that, it's another example of us having to keep our mouth shut because we don't have a dollar in the fight. Right. And so, um, one of my children called me and they were just so upset because of some of the fees that had gone up for school. We have three at UGA and she was complaining just about different fees she had to pay. And I don't have enough money. And I know I'm not supposed to take out a loan and just on and on and on. And all I wanted to say was, weren't you the one that went and did that camp job all summer? with no payment, like zero, like zero, you know, but I didn't, I just sat there and I said, I'm so sorry. You know, I love you. I'm so sorry. 
I'm here for you, you know, instead of I told you so, or you should have gotten a job that paid money and you wouldn't be in the situation, you know, yeah. but just she's an adult, she's an adult Just sit back. This, this principle is really like, I mean, it doesn't matter our age of our kids. Like you are speaking right. about a principle of truth captured in this book that be a welcome mat and keep your mouth shut. It's not as important yeah. that anything ever gets fixed. It's that nothing has to be hidden. It is that that yeah. principle that the older and more mature we get, the less we give unsolicited advice or feedback. Absolutely. And that is so hard for me because I know I'm not mature <laughs> when I hear that principle. <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, because it, it is it is so hard. It it is so hard for especially for us. <laughs> it is a principle of love though. And Jesus yeah. modeled it. Like he asked questions. He walked at the pace of life with people and he asked questions. And yep. and that like what he modeled, what is taught and what love looks like of like patience, the fruit of the spirit is love, patience, like, oh, that's hard. Like the patience piece connected to keeping my mouth shut. I can't do it, Elizabeth. Like I, I I'm terrible listen, at it. I am too. And I'll tell you, since David and I have been trying to be more intentional with this, I have learned that I have needed to apologize to my children hmm. more than I ever have before, because now I catch myself. Hmm. I am so sorry. I interjected that when all you wanted me to do was listen. Hmm. And I'm not talking my college kids. I'm talking my 15 year old. She kind of has her own um, business on the side and she's doing really, really well on repurposing furniture. And so I so badly want to interject yeah. business advice or, well, you could have done it this way or that way. And I fail. And then I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. But you know what? That was not my role in that moment. And I'm sorry. God, I'm praying for all of us listening to this now to, to where do we need to trust you with patience in order to love people? <sighs> and and be a welcome mat and keep our mouth shut our spouses our kids are in our groups in our relationships in in any environment grace looks like being a welcome mat keeping the welcome mat out and keeping our mouth shut and and that is just a truth we can't shake even though we want to and spiritualize oh. and rationalize and all the other eyes Absolutely. And, you know, we all ultimately want to connect with our kids, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we want to connect with our children. And I'm reading a book right now, John Maxwell's Everybody Communicates, But Few Connect. Mm -hmm. And it's true. We can talk all day long, but it doesn't mean that we're going to connect with our kids. And they don't always want to hear what we have to say when we're talking at them. And one one of the things that stood out to David and me in this book um, by Jim Burns that I was telling you about, he said, words don't always lead to connection, but enjoyable connections lead to words. Mm. And so my son, who just went through that really difficult situation, difficult season, um, you know, with his girlfriend, he came home this weekend and he loves his dogs. We took the dogs to the lake, they swam in the lake and really we didn't talk, but we, we had an enjoyable connection. And what I found is on the way home, that enjoyable connection was so true. Just like Jim Burr said, it leads to words. And he was able to open up and just share his heart and where he was and how he's hurting. And, and I just thought, wow, I mean, I could have said a million things, but all we did was throw the ball in the lake with the dogs and just connected. And that connection then led to words. Mm. Or actions. That's why our wives are always telling us, like, we just want to talk and spend more time together first. Right? 
It is the truth. It's the, the truth for all of us and in relationships and Hey, I want to care about discipleship and love other people. Well, are we spending time to connect? Are we, is the welcome mat out? Is our mouth shut? Are we asking questions? Any relationship we've got, this is one of the greatest principles of, I know you are going down the parenting route, but I just initially what came to mind and, and where I'm struggling with this has to do with a couple friends where it's like, I've been selfish lately and I've been so busy. Like how have I loved a couple of my friends in regards to, um, I, I can think of one in particular, my closest friend, he was talking about something and processing and in my unhealth, I just jumped in and started trying to solve it and fix it. And I need to apologize to him um, because I I know in my lack of health, this is one of the first thing that goes for me. And I go back to my gravitational starting point of telling, fixing, and man, God, I need your help because I, and, and when I am connected to the father and it's more the Holy spirit in me, it is, it is shows up in this mouth shut, welcome that out, patience, grace, walking with people. And, Oh, absolutely. Just, and like you said, just listening, listening. I mean, it really is an art. It is something we can learn, but to sit and just listen and, that's one thing I do wish I had done more when my children were younger was mm. just sitting there listening, asking them questions to connect to where they were when they were seven or 10 or, you know, whatever it was, because it's just so easy to get in that parent mode. And I have the answers. I have more wisdom. Let me tell you what to do. Hurry. We got practice. We've got this. Let's time to eat dinner, but just to sit and listen. And, and I didn't, I didn't do that nearly enough. Mm. Uh, b- before we wrap up, because I could keep you here all day. Um, one of these, uh, you you mentioned the don't fail, uh, don't bail and let them fail failure and how we navigate failure as, as Jesus followers is an interesting one that I don't think we talk about enough, um, in, in how that is connected to trust and surrender, um, and inviting God to meet needs and how, how failure could be the greatest blessing and gift from our father of grace instead of, um, instead of something we should passionately avoid, which our culture seems to put us down. Unpack for us what you've seen, that principle that you said, don't bail, let them fail. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're not going to experience or feel the grace or mercy of God in your successes, um, Hmm. typically. I mean, it's in your failures when you're going to really feel that the most. And so I know a lot of parents try to protect their kids because that's innate in us. Like we want to keep them safe. We want to protect them. And, and, but if they don't experience those failures, no matter how big or small, when they're, you know, in your home and you can model it for them, it's like, then you just throw them out to the wolves once they're, you know, on their own. And a few years ago we had a, um, a child that failed and by failed, I mean, he chose to cheat on a, on a pretty big test. And um, I got a call from the school and, you know, they shared that with me and the mm. teacher asked me, you know, Hey, how do you want me to handle this? And I said, what do you mean? How do you, I want you? I said, I want you to handle it. However you see fit. I said, give them a zero, like a fail them, whatever you need to do. And she, she said, wait, what? And I said, yeah. I said, I don't want him ever to do this again. And, and I said, so give him a consequence. Mm. And, and so she said, okay. And work, you know, she ended up um, giving him a zero and and then she called me back and said, no, I was thinking about it. And if I give him a zero, he's not going to be able to ever recover from that. And he'll have a C in here Mm. and he's not a C student. And I said, I'm okay with that. 
And, um, you know, so we, she said, I'm going to have him call his coaches and he's going to have to go to his coaches and tell them what he did. And that was humiliating enough and yeah. humbling enough. And, but he had to experience that. But then after that, the flip side was we were there for him as his parents to extend that grace, extend that mercy and listen to him as he grieved that choice that he made, as opposed to you shouldn't, I couldn't believe you did that. And just to be able to, to model that um, for him was just a recent example. Gosh, that's so good. Now I'm second guessing all my parenting from the past couple of weeks. I'm working on my issues. All right, uh, Elizabeth, we have to have you back. This was so much fun. I am so thankful for your leadership, your humility, um, your hospitality, your generosity, and being a part of this True Face tribe. And um, our goal here is to help you guys experience grace in your everyday life and in your parenting and through sharing these stories and processing the principles of them. Our hope is that all of us as a tribe learn to live life beyond the mass to experience grace. A lot of people listening probably don't know, but we have got a one of the most amazing parenting books uh, that John and Stacy and Bill and Grace and Janet and Bruce wrote called The Cure for Parent. The Cure in Parents is about how we walk alongside our kids with grace, and you can get it at trueface.org forward slash books. I could not recommend that enough. And check out Elizabeth at theexchangeus.org. Like it, subscribe it, give us a five-star review. I don't know. I don't know if people do that or what I should say, but pass this to people that you think would benefit from it. And Elizabeth, thank you for joining. Thanks, Robbie. It was a pleasure. See ya.